This is Farm to Tabor, and today we're talking with Mike McGolden, an engineer who started out his career in coal mining and now has moved on to building equipment that makes biochar. And they're surprisingly related. So if you're thinking, first of all, what is biochar? It's a very cool green technology, and the Alabama shit train episode is all about that. So if you want to give that one a listen first to learn some things about biochar, then this interview with Mike will make a little bit more sense. We're having this interview to pick apart why green technology adoption can be so slow sometimes, even if it does make sense to do the thing financially. As a scientist, I love green technologies, and as a consultant, I had to learn the hard way that whether or not something works often has very little to do with whether people use it. There's a lot of people drama behind this stuff, and I want folks who are interested in sustainability to know what that looks like. Because then we can engage with that people stuff a lot more effectively in a much more constructive way instead of just hanging around wondering why things that make sense don't just magically happen. Full disclosure, I am low-key obsessed with Mike's biochar-making equipment, because most biochar setups are really picky. They can only take wood that's already been processed into pellets or cut up into chunks. But the setups that Mike's company makes can take any carbon-based material, trash, farm manure, sewage sludge, food waste, wood, and even old tires, and turn them into biochar. It's like most biochar makers are really picky and mics are like the goat of charcoal making machines. There are a lot of different terms for this equipment. They're almost like boilers, but not quite. And they're often called gasifiers because they can turn some of this material into biochar and some into gas that you can burn. So you'll hear us throughout the interview calling them gasifiers, pyrolysis units. I probably called it a burner or boiler a couple times, but we're still talking about the same thing. Something funny about this company Recall how Mike started out in the coal industry. So when they started making these machines, they were originally using them to make charcoal out of coal, which is why they're so versatile. They were already used to working with a lot of different grades of coal and just expanded from there. So the company is still called Coltech, which is one of the funny things that can happen in the sustainable technology world is there's a lot of tools from legacy dirty technologies that we can adapt to regenerative uses. And this is one of those stories. We're going to have Mike kick it off with talking us through how he got into making biochar equipment and what it's like trying to get companies to turn their waste into biochar instead of using better known technologies that may be less of a good fit for them, like anaerobic digestion, making biomethane, incinerators, etc. for that um, and I think from from our standpoint the uh, we've been working with gasification projects for God, over 15 years <laughs> and we put in a system in West Virginia at a poultry farm in 2007 and I was, farms? On a, on a chicken farm. Yeah, was that Fry Farms? Yeah, yeah, Fry Farms. Gotcha. Fry poultry, yes. Cool. And I was on top of the gas fire putting bolts together on the roof, and a professor from the university looked up and he says, can this thing make biochar? Hmm. And I said, sure it can. Hmm. I said, what What the hell is biochar? I had, I had never <laughs> heard the word before. Amazing. And, and you know, that kind of started us down the path. And, mm-hmm. and if and if you look at the history, 
Um, in 2007, there were three publications written worldwide about biochar. Hmm. In 2015, there were 5,500. Okay, so that's that's quite an explosion in interest yeah. and knowledge there. Yeah, it is. It has just grown exponentially, and and today, if if you go in a room full of people, and especially people that are have done any type of environmental work, and you ask how many people have heard of biochar, you'll see maybe as much as 50% of them will will raise their hands. Hmm. So, so it is. It has grown, uh, just exploded with with interest. Right. So that's um, actually a pretty fast growth curve. Um, yes, <laughs> and, and it's you know, I will have to give uh, organizations like uh, IBI, the International Biochar Initiative, uh, USBI. Uh, I mean, there there are a lot of nonprofits that have focused their attention on educating people on biochar and, and what it can do. And, and that's, that's one thing they have done very well. That's they great. have spread the word and, and, and got people to understand what it is. Right. I guess um, maybe it just feels slow because everybody knows about solar and it's getting built in massive quantities right now, but solar has also been around since the seventies, whereas biochar has really been in the public sphere for maybe 10 years. And, and quite frankly, you know, whether you like it or not, Solar's exploding because the government's throwing money at solar. <laughs> they do that, yeah. Uh, and and one of the difficulties that, that we've had with biochar is, you know, we're not doing what we're not doing what people want. Right. I mean, we're we're looking at doing manure projects. Well, mm-hmm. the alternative is is digesters. Right. And digesters have got a strong lobby. They've got a strong organization through the biogases industry. I see. And and they get a lot of funding. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even as a lot of the subsidies are going away worldwide for digesters, mm-hmm. they still have their hand in the cookie jar. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I mean, right now there's they're making pipeline quality natural gas and selling it as renewable natural gas. <laughs> Yeah, man, so it's it's, oh it's not competing with natural gas. It's got its own market, right. which is which is subsidized. Right. Interesting. And, and biochar, you know, it has not has not got that attraction. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's something uh, I I see here in my state is we have actually quite a bit of solar energy, but we should build some more, and we have uh, an energy company that uh, doesn't really want solar, I think, because it's harder to charge people for photons that come out of the sky for free, and they would prefer that we all use natural gas. And, you know, different industries at play, but just the fact that the fossil fuel-based company just is very skilled at lobbying, and that makes such a huge difference. You know, like, what their plans <laughs> don't help our economy, but they're so good at lobbying. And, and that's, unfortunately, you know, people do what's in their own self-interest. And mm-hmm. and if they're the ones who control the money, then they usually get what they want. Right, um, yeah. But, but I think, the you know, the, the, the biochar or the, or the char um, opportunities go a little bit deeper than that. I mean, it, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of a lot of self-destructive behavior within the organizations. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the people that are promoting char mm-hmm. are normally researchers and academics mm-hmm. and their their skill and expertise is in research right it, it's not in commercialization yeah so if you 
if you follow a lot of what they do and I follow what they a lot of what they promote, it's a lot of, of very small systems. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot of you know we're going to make biochar, we're going to do testing, we're going to you know here here's all the wonderful things it does for the earth. Right. But you don't see a lot of their focus on anything that's commercial. Right. Yeah. There's that whole translation gap between research and, and quantifying what you need to do to make it work and then actually selling it. Yeah. And, and that is a huge jump. Yeah. And, and even more so, you know, for it to be commercial, it's got to be profitable. Right. And, and and that also is not in their arena. I mean, they do they do a very good job of, of, of research and, and quantifying what those results are. But again, it's just research. Yeah, so we've got one of those technological valley of death situations. Everybody can do wood. <laughs> but but the economics for wood are typically pretty poor. Right. I mean, you know, you have, and, and, and I, I say that that's not always true. Mm-hmm. But in many cases, there is a cost associated with doing wood projects in that you either have to pay for the feedstock. Mm-hmm. Or if you are, if you're thinning the forest, if you're doing environmental work there's still a cost associated with harvesting this material transporting it sizing mm-hmm. it and and getting it to a facility right. to be able to, to process it in a char right so that's so, the thing that really excites me about what you guys are doing is you guys can burn pretty much anything manure yeah. garbage just yeah. everything for all the excitement mm-hmm. and, and i tell people you know the good news is at this point in time we really don't have any competition Mm-hmm. You know, there's not there's not a lot of companies out there doing what we're doing with mm-hmm. the product we're doing. Yeah. The bad news is we don't have any competition, <laughs> which, which means all the research and everything that's being done, you know, we're pretty much you doing do it. it and paying for it ourselves, or we're involved in it because you know there's not other companies doing this at, at, a, at a parallel path. Right. Which which slows our progress down to the point which. Yeah, we can only go as fast as we're going. Right. Be- because there's such a huge difference. Um, uh, w- there's a meeting today mm-hmm. um, with an environmental agency mm. at a project that, that we're working with that has contaminated soils. Mm-hmm. We just got a lab analysis back. Mm-hmm. The, the soils were contaminated with lead, mercury, mm-hmm. arsenic, and copper. And if we, if we want to bring it out to a non-technical audience, what you're talking about with the heavy metals is um, a lot of high-carbon materials, like activated charcoal is kind of the classic one, um, are kind of, I guess you could say, sticky, and they will pick up heavy metals, and the heavy metals will stick to them uh, or adsorb. And so that keeps them from leaking out into the food chain where we can eat them. So, And, and the difference between what manure chars do, because activated carbon does some of that, mm-hmm. but not to the degree that you would really think right um it has and probably the easiest way to describe it the the carbon if you look at it under a microscope almost looks like a sponge Mm -hmm. and each of those little pockets in a sponge is a place where it will hold on to whether it's nutrients or or heavy metals Mm -hmm. what what happens in the manure chars a lot of the uh, components of the the mineral ash that's in the char has a particle charge, right? Which attracts the heavy metals, and not all heavy metals, but uh, a lot of the heavy metals has has the opposite uh, particle charge. Mm-hmm. 
So it's just like a magnet. It will attract them and suck them into these pores and then lock them in and hold on to them. Yeah. So it, it doesn't remove them from the soil or the water, but it binds it up to where it doesn't migrate. Mm-hmm. So it, it basically keeps it from leaching into the groundwater and it keeps it from being absorbed up in the plant roots. Right. So so it has a, I mean, it's, it's from, for a contaminated soil, I mean, it's a, it's an extremely effective way to, to remediate these soils. Right. And the, the ideal solution is still always to not have heavy metal spills happening, but in some cases, the horse is already out of the barn, so we got to figure out what to do about it. Yeah, and, and, and those, are, you know, those are situations that for our health, you know, this is a product that can improve our environment. I right. mean, we're, right now, we are, I mean, we we're doing work with, we put char in, in horse stalls. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, re- we reduced the ammonia content in horse uh, stalls by 30%. Ooh, that's good. You know, we've got a lady that's, uh, actually, she's an attorney, mm-hmm. and she raises rabbits and guinea pigs and chinchillas. Yeah. And she's buying char from us. She said her guinea pig pen she was cleaning out every two days. She said, now I'm cleaning them out every two weeks. Oof. Yeah. Because, and, of, yeah. because of the odor reduction to, by putting the char in, with, in her pens. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got, we're putting char, mixing it with bedding into poultry houses to reduce right. the moisture content and ammonia. Right. And I guess and, like for, and, a, for a non-technical audience, we should kind of talk this one out. So a, a common problem anytime you're keeping animals is, you know, they pee and yep. that's going to turn into ammonia. So a lot of that, that classic pee stink that we love so much is just ammonia. <laughs> That's just ammonia. So, um, and especially in some contexts, like there can be so much of it uh, that it starts damaging your lung tissue. So, um, yeah. So just being able to have a way that it's not getting ammonia into the air is fantastic. And and the char does it, it's a it's an accumulation of, of benefits. Ammonia by itself is bad mm-hmm. if you have higher humidity or higher moisture content in that environment. Then you create more ammonia. Mm-hmm. Because um, I mean, if you if you take a manure, if it's dry, it doesn't stink too much. You get it wet, and the, the mm-hmm. ammonia release is horrific. Mm-hmm. And and because the char not only absorbs the ammonia, but it also absorbs the moisture. Right. It redu- it reduces the moisture content in in this material, so you, you get a double benefit. Yeah, I think and, that's the number one struggle in agriculture and just in managing a city. <laughs> you know, yeah, is oh, yes. people poop, yeah, you know, and. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it, yeah. We, we, we're talking about agriculture, but you know, if you're managing a city, it's waste management is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're managing a, a processing plant, you know, managing their waste is a huge issue. I mean, it's whether we like this, it's not very sexy to say, but you know, management of waste is, and quite honestly, is is maybe the driving factor for most businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You originally started out your life in the coal industry. Was that right? That's correct. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about what you did there um, and how you made that, that transition into gasification. Well, I spent, uh, I spent 25 years managing underground coal mines. Yeah. So, and was, <laughs> I, I guess, quite happy doing that um, and, and was approached by a group uh Oh God! This has been over twenty years ago now. Mm-hmm. To do uh, coal gasification, right? And 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 I was in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and when 
the government passed the Clean Air Act in the early 90s, it devastated the Midwest because the, the coal reserves in the Midwest are all high sulfur. Right. And so, so there was a uh, there was a big effort to do something to help the industry. Mm-hmm. And and a group had come to a, to the mine I was working at and, and wanted to know if we were interested in in doing a gasification project. Right. And we got started and had two or three meetings, and I got transferred to Australia. Right. So so really yeah. quick, should we explain what gasification is? I think what it is is when you use you cook up coal and you get various gases out of it, and they use those as chemical feedstocks for a fuel. Is that right? Well, well, actually, gasification itself is, I mean, there's a difference. Combustion is just burning material. Mm-hmm. Uh, gasification is is changing that environment where it's oxygen-starved. Mm-hmm. So instead of, instead of a combustion, uh, you are heating it up and releasing the gases, and then at another stage adding enough air to combust it. Mm-hmm. So it's a much cleaner process. Gotcha. And, and that's why you see a lot of these gasification plants are, I mean, that's the, the, the next generation for how do we still take that energy and, and, and burn it, but doing it in a, in a manner that's, that's more environmentally friendly. Right. And, and when they had approached us, they were looking at doing coal gasification. And so we started looking at not coal gasification, but coal refuse, mm-hmm. taking the waste product, which is typically uh, fine particles, more difficult to clean, wetter, and, and more difficult to dispose of. Right. And, and was very successful in some of the work, initial work we were doing, but the coal industry has been through a, a lot of transitions over the last 20 years and getting interest in, in companies and, and trying to do new things was, we weren't having much success. Um, and had a couple opportunities to look at some agricultural opportunities, uh, feedstocks. And a lot of the same issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was all, these are high-cost materials to, to dispose of. These are wet materials. Yeah. You know, how do we take these materials and get them in a form that we can gasify them and take the energy and, and make, a, make a product? Right. And, and struggled. I mean, quite honestly, there's a reason why there are coal-fired power plants and they're not chicken manure-fired power plants. <laughs> because because chicken manure as a standalone fuel is not that attractive. Right. Yeah. There's just um, a lot more energy per pound of or per ton yeah. of coal. And and so as we started going through that, you know, and then we were introduced to the concept of, of biochar or ecochar. Mm-hmm. And and now now you are transitioning to okay, these are not energy projects. Right. Now, these are environmental projects. These, these are like are, waste disposal and yep. <laughs> other projects. So there are there are multiple ways that these things can can make money. Yeah. Uh, whether it's tipping fees, whether it's the value of the energy, whether it's the value of the char, whether mm-hmm. it is the environmental benefits, mm-hmm. and 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 that's and that's really when you start looking at because uh, you asked the question before, uh, which I've been asked. A million times. <laughs> if this is so great, why aren't there a thousand of these projects everywhere? Right. And and identifying. I mean, we have a technology that works. 
mm-hmm. and I've got projects that are running. I can show people that it works, but that still doesn't mean that it's economically feasible for them. Right. And and that's the piece that you have to do is find find a customer, find a situation, and find how how if we put a system in, can we make money either for ourselves or for them or both? Right. And 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 that's and that's a combination of you know, do you have someone that's spending a lot of money hauling their material off? Mm-hmm. In some cases, well, I mean, we've had some projects that that alone makes the economics make sense. Right. We've had we've had projects that um, they had an, they have an energy need. They're paying a lot of money for energy, and the energy that we can produce provides a benefit. Yeah. You know, we've we've had projects where all we did was make a byproduct, and the byproduct and added enough revenue to their facility that it that it made a project make sense. Yeah. Um, but when you look at overall, what has the greatest impact to the economics of these types of projects? It is if you can establish a value for the char. Mm-hmm. It it will it will drive the economics of these projects. Right. Well, and I think you mentioned the, or the fry poultry guys, a big piece of what they get out of it is heating in the winter for their birds because they used to be paying huge fuel costs. And now this is providing that as well. That, that project was a, I guess for want of a better word, that was a demonstration project. Right. It, the, the farm was, was much too small <laughs> uh, to, to be, you know, to, to be something that was economically feasible on its own. Right. Uh, the, the farmer, uh, Josh Fry spent, Josh spent a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. uh, working with that. I mean, Josh believed in it uh, with his heart and soul, <laughs> and 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 did a lot of the work to to promote the char. Right. Um, I mean, he's and and I think Josh is still he's still working with a group in West Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, trying to develop larger scale projects now. Right. Um, the everything we did at that facility worked. I mean, his birds grew faster because we reduced the relative humidity in the house. Right. It was easy to control the temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the barn was drier, so cleanouts were easier and faster. Yeah. Everything we did worked. Yeah. Except for the economics. <laughs> and, and it was, and, and quite frankly, from from our viewpoint, it was a little bit too small. Mm-hmm. And and heating the barns, um, while it sounds great, it, it's reducing a cost. Mm-hmm. It's not a twenty-four-seven. Right. You need it in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. You don't need it all in the summer. Yeah. In the spring and the fall, you need it at night, but not during the day. Right. So, so it's it was kind of hit and miss as far as you know how does that how does that provide a value to him? Right. So uh, it uh, again it, it led us it led us to kind of where we are today that you know if you if you try to put a project in that's too big, mm-hmm. your transportation cost is horrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you look at a lot of these projects that have failed. Um, they are and they have to, to haul the, in everything uh, and yeah yeah back to the, the the public utility mentality that mm-hmm. you know economies of scale you have to be huge for these projects to make sense. That helps the technology if it's bigger. It makes it lower cost, mm-hmm. um, but. Transporting coal is one thing. 
Right. You you transport chicken manure three or four hundred miles, and you're not going to make any money. Right. Yeah. And, and and so it has to be it has to be very regional. It has to be either little or no transportation for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other hand, if it's too small, then then your your operating costs are too high because you're not getting enough throughput for the for the amount of labor that you have to put into it. Right. So we we see there as being a, a niche. There is a there's a range of sizes that, that fits very well, but you can't be too big and you can't be too small. Yeah. Have you gotten any projects for municipal sewage sludge disposal? We are at this point in time. We have three different projects that we're we're waiting on the final commitments, and and they're all from municipalities. Mm. Um, and, and we've, we've run biosolids before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's interestingly enough, uh, the EPA just issued, uh, the inspector general just issued a report that says they have serious concerns about land application of continued land application of biosolids because of the, um, uh, unregulated contaminants that are in biosolids. Mm-hmm. Are we looking at heavy metals, like uh, drug well, residues? Uh, as scary as this is, uh, I think if the if the majority of the people in the United States knew how much of our human waste was being spread on the land, I think people would be appalled. Yeah, well, I mean, you can, basically you can either put it on the land or you can dump it in the ocean. Like, those are your two options, right? So <laughs> we got to figure out how to do this. The, and the problem is... Most of most of the treatment that's being done mm-hmm. does not get rid of the hormones and the endocrinetic disruptors. Right, drug residues. Waste. Yep. And when that gets into the soil and eventually into the streams, we are uh, mixing up the reproductive organs of the fish. Gotcha. So a lot of a lot of those drug residues are coming from sewage treatment, either from land application or from like the the liquid portion of sewage that gets kind of the chunk strained out, yeah. more or less cleaned up, and then we stick it in the water. But the drug residues may still be there. Yes, and, and see, you don't the agricultural uh, the manures you, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 do t- to a lesser degree in, in dairy manure because mm-hmm. there are some hormones that they use. But typically, manures don't have the, the hormones that, that we see in, in human waste, mm-hmm. and and it's I mean it's just a scary proposition because what happens is we're going to have fish that can't reproduce, and then we're going to end up with no fish. Awkward. If you take a a typical wastewater treatment plant, mm-hmm. they will separate their solids from liquid. Yeah, and and the solids, the biosolids, is what they end up land applying. Mm-hmm. And when it comes out of a normal treatment plant, it will be 75 to 80% moisture. Mm-hmm. And there are, I mean, depending on the states, there's different places where you have regulations that require them to make what they call a class A biosolid, mm-hmm. which basically means they have to dry it. Mm-hmm. And, and so now it's, a, you know, eight to 10% moisture material, but it's the same, the same solid components. Right. What we do, we will take and that if it's a hundred tons of, of wet biosolids, you'll that will dry down to twenty five tons of dried biosolids, mm-hmm. 
and we will gasify it, and then those 25 tons will become five to eight tons of char. Yeah, which is it's kind of it's almost the same as charcoal. It's the same kind of like just crunchy carbon black yes. material. Yeah, and, and the the biosolids and the manures are they're a finer product. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at wood char, you see big chunks of wood. Right. When when, when you look at manure chars and and biosolids, it's almost maybe even finer than than grains of sand. It's it's a it's a very powdery type product. Right. Um, so, but what it has, it it will have. 25% carbon, mm-hmm. which is the fixed carbon, which will stay, if, if it's put in the soil, it will stay in the soil. You know, Amazon rainforest, just a thousand years ago, the Indians put it in the soil and it's still black. Right. Um, it will, because it's the gasification process, we will break down all of the, any of the medications, the hormones, uh, all of that will be broken down. So, you will have none of those. You will have none of the pathogens. You'll have none of the bacteria. Uh, all you will have will be the mineral constituents mm-hmm. and and the carbon. Right. So it's just now, you take that many tons of sewage and you can condense it down into a really light, you know, five to ten tons of charcoal. All the pathogens and drug residues are gone, but the nutrients are still there, which makes it more worthwhile to to put on land and a lot safer. Right. And and, and most most wastewater treatment plants. The, the volume of heavy metals is really, really small. I mean, it's not much below the harmful levels. Right. Uh, now, you get into wastewater treatment plants that are handling chemical plants or, or big industrial complexes. You know, you're going to have some of those that will be a little different. Right. Um, but, but having said that, you, know, you get a lab analysis of these solids. Now, some will be at a quality that, quite frankly, you could put on on soil that's growing food and, and without any concerns. Right. You're, you're going to have some that, that, that won't be uh, acceptable to put on croplands, but mm-hmm. now, now you've got char that, whether you use it for odor control, whether you use it for, uh, one of the things they can do, uh, they can filter their water that's coming out of wastewater treatment plants mm-hmm. and use the char that's coming out of the plant itself to further filter the liquids that's coming out of the plant. Right, yeah. So we kind of mentioned like a big part of sewage treatment is you separate, if we're <laughs> going to be really honest about it, the chunks from the from the, the liquid. And so when we're talking about charring and, and um, you know, drying the sludge and turning it to char, that's the chunks. And then the yeah. liquid has to go somewhere. Typically, they'll kind of put it through a giant aquarium filter type of thing uh, to, to take down the pathogens and kind of cook some of the nutrients down a little bit. But when they're done with it, it still can have a lot of those drug residues and a lot of nutrients. And so putting it out into the environment can be a problem. But if you pass it through some of this char first, it's gonna the char is going to pick up those residues and it's going to pick up those nutrients. So you actually have clean water coming out the backside. So and, and, and we're working with we're working with two or three companies that, that already provide some type of filtration uh, equipment or materials. And and they are working with us to put to incorporate some of these chars in the products they make to further enhance how well their products take material out. That's part one of a two-parter with Mike McGolden, head of Coltec, about the economics and adoption of biochar. 
Thanks for listening to Farm to Tabor. We'll catch you on the next one.